Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. Let's I feel go. like we've been I feel like we've been teasing the center field episode for a I, while. I feel like we have too. Is uh, we've you've been bringing it up a lot. You've been saying next time we're gonna do center field, yes. and then it, we it is time. We always wind up talking about something else, and yes. it's okay because there's so much to talk about. And like we 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 did the refreshers on you know catcher second base, and you know I'm sure eventually there'll be a refresher on center, but preferably we can just get this done and it is what it is. And there's going to be no changes, you know, it's constant work. So there always will be, but yeah, ideally we get as much done here as possible and not have to, you know, readdress as much, although it's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, Having done those positions though, it is about time that we start covering the rest. Um, So today center field, it's it. The time is here. Let's do it. So first, we're going to go into this, and we're just going to really quick, like we did with the others, um, just everybody who everybody knows, the players that everybody knows, we're just going to rattle off because, you know, why go into details about something that everybody knows about already? We're just telling you what you know, you know? So first and foremost, this is a guy I've been watching in the Arizona Fall League for years on end. He came in. Rookie of the year, Julio Rodriguez, total stud. It's awesome to see that he can actually be an above average center fielder. Coming up, I always thought he was going to be an elite right fielder. Um, superstar, superstar. There might be some growing pains, but that's fine because long term he's going to be he's going to be a stud. So clearly on the list, people know him. Mike Trout. Everybody knows Mike Trout. He hit 40 home runs last year despite missing something along the lines of 200 at bats. Um, argument to be made that this is the best he's ever been, and that's insane because he's been this good for a very long time. Uh, Byron Buxton, not much needs to be said. Please stay healthy. That's about it. <laughs> he didn't do everything. Um, you got Luis Robert, uh, of the of the White Sox. He is. I'm gonna talk about true five tool talent. What his ceiling is with his swing mechanics. And his contact skill and his power. What his ceiling is, is, you know, ceiling is the roof, but like, really. Like, I could see him be a, a, a center field version of what Starlin Marte has uh, been giving us in his best years. Uh, and that's what Robert could be. Uh, stud. Um, Nemo. Everybody knows Nemo. I'm not the biggest Nemo guy, but with the shift going away, and the number of walks that he's going to be getting given the fact that he is a decent base runner and he's a very good center field defender, despite being a major injury risk. He's got to show up at least for next year and the year after. After that, I don't have any faith in him, but with the shift going away, it's going to lengthen his career a little bit. Uh, similar to how the shortened season actually was benefited uh, a benefit for him in 2020. And the juice ball was a benefit for him in 2019 and his, you know, being a, a player who walks a lot to get a lot of, get to a lot of his ability uh, you know, having that type of polish once he was big league ready, he coasted a little bit off of that. This is a guy who's been able to draw out his career longer than I've seen most people be able to uh, draw out their career who uh, are comparably skilled. 
uh, you know, but good for him. You know, uh, he's a high energy player. Um, you know, he, he'll, he'll sprint out walks. So, you know, I hope he stays healthy and, you know, I hope he proves me wrong that I, I don't have any faith in him after the next two stud seasons and he will be a stud the next two. Um, now here's something interesting. Okay. I have Kyle Tucker and Mookie Betts both moving to center field by the end of the season from right field. And the reason for that is, is I don't really have a lot of faith in either the Astros or the Dodgers, other outfield options. I don't think McCormick's going to hit. Brantley has already been in a massive power drop over the last few years. Now he's got labrum surgery for the second time, which saps power for up to two years. He's like 37 years old. Yeah, Colin Barber, you know, who uh, probably should be back in double A next year for like the whole season. Uh, but he might have to be rushed up to the big leagues uh, because outside of McCormick and Brantley and him, there, there really isn't much in the Astros outfield. So I think Tucker's going to move to center field because he's oh, he's an elite defender in right. And I think they're going to get two corner outfield, you know, middle of the order bats at the deadline. The Astros are great at operating at the deadline. It's where they got Scherzer and Verlander. They, they, they just dominated the deadline. So I think that that's probably what they're going to do, get two corner outfielders with the stud middle of the order, Tucker and center. And, you know, they're going to once again, use that to coast to the best team in the majors probably next year. Um, and I don't like to say that because I, you know, I don't like the Astros, but you know, calling it as I see it, I think Tucker's moving to center. It's going to help them finish off their roster. Um, and similarly, Mookie Betts, I don't, I don't have, I, I think Taylor's done. I think he's cooked. I don't think, I think he's a super utility instead of an everyday guy which is fine because he's a great super utility still, but he, he shouldn't be playing every day. Trace Thompson. I, I think that he swings and misses way too much. I think last year he worked the count as much as he could in order to do damage. I don't think that that's going to happen again. I think that that was a total flash in the pan, you know, walking at that rate and striking out at that rate. That is not repeatable. And he was walking and striking out, working the count deeper and deeper with lots of swing and miss from the moment he was in the bigs. In fact, he did that a lot in the minors too. Uh, Outman, he was always supposed to be a quality fourth outfielder, although he had a really big year last year. Maybe he finds a way to make himself, you know, uh, a good enough hitter to be an everyday option. Uh, I don't want him in center. I don't think that, I think he'd be too stretched there. In a corner, he actually might be a good defender. Um, so I don't think Outman's going to be in center either. I think Mookie Betts is going to move to center so that they can get two middle-of-the-order corner outfielders or bring up a middle-of-the-order uh, corner outfielder, maybe like Bush or uh, Pahis, um, as I believe how you pronounce it, uh, with the Dodgers. I don't know how much I believe in either of them. Um, that being said, I do think that that's the way that both of those teams are going to go. And that's why I have Betts and I have Tucker in center field. Um now we're going to go into guys that need a little bit more elaboration. Harrison Bader, he had plantar fasciitis last year, um, and his expected statistics weren't really the greatest. However, after coming back healthy, he was dominant and then hit six home runs in the playoffs. Uh, the Yankees are a highly analytical club. They don't typically go after people who have bad expected statistics, usually even if you have a player who's been doing really, really good for them, if he has bad expected statistics, they're perfectly fine walking away. 
um, like Didi, for instance. Um, so I think that they saw something in Bader that was like, oh, okay, the reason why the expected statistics are bad is because of the plantar fasciitis and it's, you know, more of the Longoria plantar fasciitis than the Greg Bird plantar fasciitis. Um, because if that's the case, you're looking at an elite center field defender who is one of the best base runners, one of the best, like three base runners in the sport and a guy who's going to hit, uh, his splits last year were versus righties. He hit righties a lot more than lefties. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that. He's a righty hitter and his swing mechanics historically have been the type that would make it so that he only hits lefties. That being said, this year he started opening up with the front side, which is probably what allowed him to hit righties. So there is a decent probability that he's going to be able to hit righties moving forward. And by virtue of being a right-handed hitter, hit also hit lefties. Um, but if he doesn't and the expected statistics are correct, uh, he's still going to be a guy who hits lefties and is one of the three best base runners in the sport and is one of the you know top three defensive center fielders in the sport. So whether he hits his optimal outcome or the lowest, uh, as long as he's healthy, uh, he shows up easy. Uh, but I have to explain that because it's a little complicated. Uh, guys with poor expected statistics, typically you don't want them on any of your lists. But you know everything's context dependent. So I had to speak on that, obviously. Um, Varsho, if he had gone to the Yankees, I was going to say he would have to move back to catcher. However, going to the Blue Jays, Varsho had one of the highest, if not, I think it was the highest, uh, defensive OAA, which is the best defensive statistics that we have of anyone in baseball, any center fielder in baseball. Uh, now, they also have Kiermaier, who has been the best defensive center fielder in baseball consistently for the last i'm gonna say like six years or something like that five years um and they're both on the same team however kiermeyer is fairly consistently hurt uh usually he plays like 330 385 uh played appearances a season whereas varsho i think he's gonna play the full season so if kiermeyer's healthy yeah he's definitely gonna be in center field knowing his track record but given that Kiermaier is going to miss like 60 games, uh, I have to put Varsho as the regular center fielder for the Blue Jays. Uh, and that's why he's on here. Now, independent of what position he would be on for his team, if he was just on a team that had blank roster, he would be a center fielder as well. So clearly, you know, whichever way you're doing this, whether it's based off of where the team is playing you or where he should play, he has to be on here as a center fielder. Uh, his expected statistics were a little bit worrisome. However, it could have been him getting tired at the end of the year because it tear tailed off after the beginning. He's always been a hitter. Watched him in the Arizona Fall League. He's going to hit righties at minimum. Uh, I think him getting lineup protection and the shift going away uh, will only up his confidence and, and allow him to settle in more. Um, is he going to be middle of the order? No. Could he be your leadoff? Sure. Could he be a, you know, five, six, seven, you know, eight, nine, depending, you know, what type of lineup you have hitter. Absolutely. He's not going to be a, a three, four, five guy, but 
I, I don't care. He does everything else well. So uh, Varsho has to show up. Ramon Laureano also has to show up. Um, that's also men- worth mentioning real quick that Kiermaier didn't show up on the list. Between the injuries, the poor expected statistics, and the fact that he's never slugged 400, uh, I'm I'm off the Kiermaier train. Um, even though he's center field, he's better used as a fourth outfielder given his skill set. And as a lefty, you don't usually see too many left-handed fourth outfielders, uh, meaning the rest of the outfield would have to all be right-handed, which is a waste of, you know, maximizing flexibility within your lineup. It's hard to find lefties at third or short or second. If you want lefties in your lineup, you got to go DH the outfielder first. So you wouldn't want to go with an all righty outfield. So Kiermaier doesn't even make roster sense uh, as, as in, you know, have extra value because of how he could be used on a roster. Um, so, you know, there you go with regards to, uh, why Kiermaier didn't show up, but, uh, Ramon Laureano, another guy who has injury issues, he did show up. Now he doesn't have anything close to the defense and center field that Kiermaier does. However, Ramon Laureano has one of the best outfield throwing arms in the sport, the type of outfield throwing arm where it's not necessarily that he's got the most velocity out of his hand because he doesn't. It's that he can make multiple types of different throws accurately. The long, far ones, the close ones, the ones on a line, the ones that he is to throw while off balance, he does all of them at an elite level. And given the fact that people can always throw faster than they can run by miles, having that type of skill set while being able to have enough range for center field makes you an elite defender in ways that aren't particularly apparent through just, you know, how many runs you've saved. You know what I mean? So, uh, Loriano, he has to show up. Uh, Brandon March, center fielder of the Phillies. Didn't really hit too, too much last year. Massive strikeout rate, aggressive profile. There was walks there, so it was aggressive within the zone. As the year went on, we got to remember, he was a former top prospect, was rushed a little bit, but always proved that he could kind of pick things up on the fly. Well, mid-season, last few months of the year, he just got better and better and better. And the marsh you saw in the playoffs was somebody who was actually a hitter. With his elite defense, the fact that he was a former prospect and the fact that he really seems to be getting things together, hitting-wise, he absolutely has to show up on the list. Uh, now, you know what, let's, let, let, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go to one of the guys who's a clear top 10 that most people know about. Cause I want to talk about the fact that there's two center fielders on this team and why both of them in this case have to show up Texas Rangers. Now Texas Rangers, I'm just going to say real quick. I talked about this on one of the previous videos, Texas looks like a playoff team. If not a team, that's going to be right there. Um, And they look like this because they have a seven-man dangerous lineup. They don't have eight and nine, but they have seven dangerous hitters. And they have so many starting pitchers that they've brought into the fold or who already are in the fold coming up from the minors that they're going to be able to build a whole bullpen off of guys who were just starters. And as we know, starters, you know, when they go to the bullpen, become typically the best relievers. Well, the Rangers, they have Adalas Garcia in center field, former Cuban player. 
Uh, he's still very young for someone who came over from Cuba. He's got elite center field defense. He's got plus plus base running. He's got plus plus power. He's an aggressive hitter. He's brought down the strikeout rate in the last couple of years. There is a high possibility given his swing mechanics that he's just going to keep getting better. And he's already a plus base runner, plus hitter, elite defender. Now in the minors, a few levels down, they have Evan Carter. Evan Carter, he was one of those guys where nobody nobody knew about him in the draft. He came out of nowhere. Nobody knew how talented he was. And he had a great batting eye. And he does look like he's probably going to be able to stay in center. Um, for all intents and purposes, the comp that he's getting right now is Brandon Nimmo. Now, Carter's one of the guys who's on the edge of the list by you know one of the future publications one of the updates he may not even be on the list but as somebody who came out of nowhere jumped onto the list started putting up good exit velocities unbelievable breaking ball recognition good numbers in in, in the low minors his first exposure we're talking about a ball too um he seems to be getting better and better rapidly so right now he's on the list but there's still evaluations that are going on. I'm still reviewing video. I'm still reading different scouting reports, trying to figure out uh, a clearer picture of what he's going to be. Because um, right now there's been so much fluctuation. He's been getting better so quickly, so much, uh, so much, so much faster, so much more quickly, <laughs> more quickly. So much faster. <laughs> You're like cracking up. <laughs> completely breaking down yeah. mentally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, he, he's, he's, he's been, he has helium, as they say. Um, he's just, every time anyone gets their eyes on him, it's just a better evaluation, it seems. Um, and it's funny, that's kind of a good segue into um, uh, Kevin Alcantara. Alcantara, he used to be a Yankees center field prospect in the low minors. And he's another guy where it seemed, at least for a bit there, that any time a scout went to look at him, they were just more impressed. He is six foot seven. He's a center fielder. He's 19. I think he's 20 next year. Um, legitimately looks like he can stay in center field. Um, he never played a hundred game season before last year. Walked, didn't strike out too much, did really good on balls that he was putting in play and wasn't exactly a zero on balls out of play. For a guy who had never played 100 games, the fact that he was not just not striking out at insane degrees, but showing a batting eye and also having degrees of offensive success on balls in play, he's got 70 raw power. He's a guy who could hit 35 home runs a year in the big leagues. Now, Anyone who's six foot seven, there is risk, especially the fact that, you know, he seems like more of a patient hitter, which at the low minors, you go to the higher minors and the pitching gets better. That patience, you know, it can get to the point where you're swinging so late, identifying pitches so late that instead of foul tipping pitches, you swing through and miss. So the walks go into the strikeouts. The fact that he hasn't had over the fence power while being his height you know, th that is a, a observation. Now, at his age, the fact that he played that number of games and still did as good as he did, that is significant. So this year is kind of a, a really big year for figuring out who he is. Uh, if 
he keeps walking, keeps the strikeouts down, but starts pulling the ball more, then he is clearly deserving of being here. But if the walks go into the strikeouts and more of the out of play goes into the in play, then he's probably not going to show up on the list. And there's always lots of risks with guys who are that size. Um, now, another segue, James Wood, another six foot seven center fielder, except the difference between James Wood and Kevin Alcantara is that Wood is a little bit further along in development. Both right now should stay in center field, but Wood is a little bit more polished. Both carry risk. I'd say Alcantara has the higher ceiling, but Wood has the higher floor. And they both show up on the list. It's actually really surprising if you're going through uh, the minors at how many players within the next few classes are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". In rare cases, 6'7". But the players that are coming up, they seem to be getting much bigger than in the past few years. A lot of 6'3s. It seems common when you see a 6'3", actually. Um, All right. Colton Kowser. Do you think, wait, do you think there's any reason or why Colton there's Kowser. a lot of bigger guys coming in? Um, I think the way that baseball is being taught um, is such a way now where being smaller and having more coordination, they're teaching big guys the coordination of, in the past, smaller guys. And with velocity, it's becoming harder and harder for those smaller guys to hit the ball hard enough to ascend through the minors. So that's that, that's my opinion why. Um, I also think that um, I think teams value players who both walk and have the ability to cover zone. And, you know, if you're bigger and you know not to swing at balls, um, you should be able to reach more balls just by, you know, by just being bigger. And if pitchers are going to miss, they miss more out of the zone than they do in zone. Um, a lot of a lot of players are taught how to hit mistakes in zone. So bigger players are becoming more valuable than they ever have, especially with velocity as it is. That's my hypothesis. But, you know, it, it, it could just be all players are just getting bigger, you know. Um but the velocity difference now between 10 years ago is night and day. I remember in 2007, Java Chamberlain came on and he was throwing 101 miles an hour. And people were like, what? We've never seen someone who regularly threw 100. And now they're starting pitchers who throw 100 miles an hour all game. If you're throwing 100, it's like, okay, you're a hard thrower. Throw 99, 98, you're a hard thrower. When Bull Durham came out, I watched it the other night. Lelouch, Calvin Ebby Lelouch. <laughs> it's great, great. Lelouch. Lelouch. Uh, he was throwing 96, and they were blown away. So it's a different game now. Uh, I think it's harder for guys that are my size than it's ever been. Um, but, you know, let's, let, let's you know, before we, we get into – all sorts of, you know, why the game's changing. Yeah, that's another episode. Yeah, the outfield list is, it's going to be bigger than most of the other positions. I mean, just by virtue of there being three outfielders team. Whereas, you know, there's only one third baseman, you know, one shortstop. 
Um, so we got Kowser. Kowser, Colton Kowser is a I mean he's probably gonna stay in center given you know the options uh on the Orioles roster. Um but he's probably more of a fit in left field or right field in a corner. Um the scouting report has a 70 grade hit tool and workable power. I don't see a 70 grade hit tool. I do see a guy who was rushed through the minors. He should probably be in double A right now. That being said, maybe he's so advanced that the reason why he's working counts this deep is because, you know, he's just got that great of a batting eye and, you know, is that great at laying off pitches, but, Nobody walks this much and strikes out at, you know, that reasonable rate uh, and is big league ready, in my opinion. Um, He did seem like, uh, you know, basically ready-made bat. So it could be minor leaguers missing the zone, which is why he's showing up here. But if it's not minor leaguers missing the zone and that's just how he is, he's going to work the count till forever to get to something to hit given the fact that he's probably not a long-term center fielder, he would he won't show up on the list. So there is massive risk there. But the reward is workable power with a 70-grade hit tool, which is insanely rare. You don't see 70-grade hit tools with workable power. Uh, okay, now we got Jaron Duran. I'm going to be completely real with you. Jaron Duran is a terrible defensive center fielder. However, he's so darn fast... That if you just play him back and he gets reps, especially in Boston's center field, you know, Boston's center field, it is spacious. However, with the wall being the way it is back then, you can play the Chrome and use that in order to enhance your throwing arm, which he is a very weak one. And if you're playing back with speed like that, you can either get to things or at least keep them in front of you. If he can find a way to even be an average outfielder, that matters because he is a guy who is hit at every single level and did much better than his first big league season, his second season. Now, his expected statistics are terrible. However, if he does keep getting better at this rate, maybe he's not going to do it next year. Maybe he'll do it the year after or midseason the year after. But even if he just finds a way, as a lefty, mind you, in an era without the shift, to hit at a league average clip, he's so darn fast that he's going to steal 35 bases a season plus. So he's got to show up on here because he does have the ability to hit league average, at least eventually. And with that speed, that's that's an elite leadoff hitter. Um, and, you know, he may find a way to actually be able to hit lefties if he use if he utilizes the green monster the right way, um, you know, being okay, you know, miss hitting against lefties to do a, a, a fairly deep fly ball to left field, which would hit against the monster and possibly give him with his speed a double. So I I'm bigger on Duran than I've been in the past, but it's mainly because if you just give him reps, he doesn't really need to hit that much to have everyday value. Uh, I'd rather use him in left field, but I mean, they got Yoshida and they got, you know, Verdugo. So maybe they put Verdugo in center field, but I, I, I think with Duran's speed and 
Yoshida not being familiar with the big leagues and, you know, Verdugo having that great throwing arm. I think that that's kind of how they structure it. I think they have Yoshida in left, Verdugo in right, and they put Duran in center. I think they put Kike at second base. Um, all right. Now we have the Cardinals center fielder, Dylan Carlson. Carlson still needs to adapt to the big leagues. Um, I do think he was rushed. He's had a really good batting eye. He has natural power. He has good. He's a good swing. Um, he still definitely needs to work on pulling the ball a little bit more, but it might not be because he doesn't know how to pull the ball. It might be because he was rushed. I do think that he should have still been in the minors this last year. And his first big league year, he was like 21 years old. So he's got, I think he's like 23 now. He's got years and years ahead of him uh, to figure out how to get around baseballs. Um, so the development can happen at the big leagues. It is worth mentioning. I've seen him last year make throws from the outfield that are absolute cannons and on point. So he might be one of those center fielders that defensively is adequate range, plus plus throwing arm, decent base runner who walks a lot. And because he's a switch hitter, I do think that he's eventually going to get around to hitting either righties, lefties, or both. And with the rest of his skills, he's eventually going to clearly be an impact player. And guys typically that come up at his age and develop at the big league level, they stay good at the big league level for a long time. So if that one little thing with development does happen with him, where he does become an impact hitter, he's a safe bet to be that for a long time and possibly as a center fielder for most of that time, if that's the route that the Cardinals go. Um, so short term, I don't like Carlson. Next year, I don't like Carlson. The year after, maybe halfway through that year, I like him. But the year after that, I love Carlson. And moving forward from there out. Um, Robert Hassel III. I know, a fantastic name. Fantastic name. Uh, he is a guy who may be able to stay in center. You know, I think I think that's the ideal for him to be able to stay in center field. He's got an unbelievable batting eye. He makes a ton of contact. He's got great bat-to-ball ability. He still hasn't quite figured out how to consistently pull the ball. Once he figures out how to do that, given the amount of muscle that he can put onto his frame, he's going to be insane. However, there was something that I, I read in a scouting report, which I thought was really, really funny, um, where... They were describing a player, Alex Ramirez, and, you know, I, we, we can't curse here, but the scout basically uh, described uh, him by saying he had no A word. So there wasn't really uh, that much ceiling for him to hit for more power because of that. And I think it's a similar situation with Hassel, where it's not just he hasn't quite figured out how to pull the ball. It's that. I don't think he has the build in the upper part of his legs to be able to eventually hit for the type of power that he could based off of the type of muscle he can put on his frame. Like the best thing that he could do is focus on spraying the ball around, walking when he had to, and being a leadoff hitter who is basing his game around base running. If that's the case, then he can get up to the big leagues quick and be a all-star 
you know, multi-year all-star center fielder. But I think he's going to try to be a power hitter and it's not going to work for him. He might have to develop at the big leagues. With his work ethic, his body type, and his skill set, however, eventually he'll be something. And if I'm going to project what he'll be, he'll be, if you took Andrew Benintendi and you made his hit tool less usable, made him more patient, uh, I think that that's kind of what you're looking at. Um, If he's not Benintendi, that's the ceiling, I think, in my opinion, of what he could be. The floor is Max Kepler. And when I say Max Kepler, I don't mean like the good season, Max Kepler. So that's my projection for him. But either way, that's a plus center fielder. So um, he's got to show up on the list, even if he's a guy who the ceiling is a lot lower than you'd think. The floor is high enough, and the probability of him being a a good up-the-middle big leaguer is such that he has to show up. But I don't think I see a star here. I see a very good player, and I see a high-probability player. Um, which again, you know, there's not a lot of high probability guys in the minor leagues. So that carries a lot of value. I, I think we've talked about the value of a, sh- a for sure thing here. There's very few things that are more valuable than that. Um, all right. So we got Riley Green, who we got to see quite a bit this year. Riley Green is a guy when he was taken in the draft, I saw your prototypical corner outfielder guy who works the count, little strike out has a good throwing arm in the corner outfield. Uh, his build was such that I thought, you know, he has the strength, you know, polished player. He's going to, you know, move fairly. He's going he's to move fairly quickly and be a back in the middle of the order guy. However, this is a guy who uh, he's worked, he's worked, you know, his A word off. <laughs> We're going to go there. He, he's, he's worked so hard that not only is he a center fielder, but he is a plus-plus defensive center fielder. And he's gone from being your prototypical, you know, good power-hitting corner outfielder to being a true middle-of-the-order left-handed threat. And given how much better he's gotten, I'm kind of curious if he becomes a big leaguer and gets to repeat each year in the same league, how much better can he get from here? I certainly would love to go off to the Tigers and say, hey, we'll give you half our farm system and we'll eat Baez's contract if you give us green. That's how much I like him. So, yes, Riley Green has to show up. I expect a big year out of him next year, maybe even a Rookie of the Year award, at least in the, in the conversation for that. Um, all right, now we got two guys from the Diamondbacks. I don't know which of them is going to be in center field. We have Alec Thomas, who last year, per OAA, similar to our show, had one of the best defensive seasons of any center fielder in the sport. In the minors, he was seen as an elite defensive left fielder who could play center. So I don't know if he's going to be that guy moving forward, but certainly putting up an OAA in that range is insanely impressive. Varsho also put up an OAA in that range for the Diamondbacks. So it's not impossible for two guys to do that, both on the Diamondbacks. However, instead of it being Thomas and Varsho, 
This time around, it's Thomas and Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll, they 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 interviewed a, a ton of minor leaguers, a ton of minor leaguers. They asked them, who's the fastest player you've ever seen? And there were two names that came up. There was this guy, David something rather, who's a, he's basically the next Terrence Gore. All he does is run. He's in the Boston system. And they named Corbin Carroll. In fact, Corbin Carroll was named so uniformly that the couple of times it was, you know, David for Boston, uh, you know, Jake from State Farm, uh, the, the, the couple times it was him, it almost doesn't matter because every time they named him, they also named Carroll. That's how fast he is. Corbin Carroll, if I'm going to compare his offensive skill set to anyone that I've seen, he's Jacoby Ellsbury. And Ellsbury's a guy who hit 20 homers regularly with like 40 steals with, with at least a 260 batting average, good on base percentage and walks in center field. So that's my comparison in terms of offensively. Now, Ellsbury had a noodle for a throwing arm. Carroll has a workable throwing arm. He's got a good throwing arm. So I do think he can stay in center. So even though Tomas had elite center field metrics last year, Tomas is like 60 grade speed. So I don't think he's staying in center. However, given the numbers he put up, maybe they put Carroll in left and they keep him in center. Um, I'm not really sure which way they're going to go about it, which is why both of them show up on the list. Uh, Cause I, 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 both are elite center field defenders. You know, it, it, it would be a shame if, uh, the one that was in center wasn't on the center field list. Um, so they're both showing up there, at least for now. Uh, we have Michael Harris for the Braves talking about a guy who just got better every single year that I saw him. Very few people got better at the rate that I saw my- Michael Harris get better. He wasn't even supposed to be like your prototypical corner outfielder. He was supposed to be a guy who was a prototypical corner outfielder for a bottom 10 team. He turned himself into an elite defensive center fielder who can run the bases at, at, a, at a plus plus level walk and hit for power. I remember seeing him in the Arizona Fall League and I was like, who is this guy? And then I remember he, him coming back and he robs this home run. And I'm like, goodness gracious. Because both years I was like, okay, maybe he had a good year. Just it was just a good year. You know what I mean? Nope. So he is on the list. Um so now we're going to get into guys who are a little bit farther down in the minor leagues or guys who we don't know if they're going to get a chance. And all three of these guys are Yankees. Estevan Florial, who, if Bader ends up falling apart, will take over center field. Uh, Everson Priera who is in double A for the Yankees will probably start the year there. Um, Last year, he played his first full year and he did very, very good. Um, Made, made, made it up to triple A. I do think though, that he should start the year in double A next year. Um, Given that it was his first year in triple A and he looked adequate in center. People said, Oh, well he could move over to right. It's his first full season. 
and he's typically been a center fielder. I want to see if he can play it this year before I uh, quarantine him to right field. Um, and then the third one, Spencer Jones, another six foot seven center fielder. I kid you not, they're all over the place. Uh, and he's in the Yankees system out of Vanderbilt. Now, Vanderbilt, they don't take you unless you have high degrees of either leadership or work ethic or both. They also don't take you unless you're a high quality athlete. I cannot tell you how many big leaguers have come out of Vanderbilt. Uh, in fact, Volpe was going to go to Vanderbilt and he ended up instead going to the Yankees. The Yankees also uh, this winter amongst previous winters have been interested in Brian Reynolds, who also came out of Vanderbilt. Like uh, Swanson was also a Vanderbilt project, uh, a product. Um, Spencer Jones is one of the, the, the new Vanderbilt guys. One of the, one of their new uh, uh, products. Why not? Um, he has elite exit velocity, which he demonstrated at the at the combine. He also has elite foot speed, which he also demonstrated. He looks like he's perfectly capable of playing center field because of these things. He's got a good batting eye. Uh, one of the concerns with him was, you know, he makes a lot of contact. He, you know, he doesn't strike out as much as a guy his size you'd think would, but a lot of the contact is to the opposite field and he needed to learn to get around on balls and start pulling them because in the big leagues, they can, they can exploit that type of weakness. Well, in the videos that just, that, that came out right before the draft, it, his swing looked completely different. It looked like he had changed his swing, which is I think part of the reason why the Yankees ended up going for him because his swing looked like a pull hitters swing. And with his size, six foot seven, making contact at the degree that he has with the mental makeup that he has, the work ethic that he has, being able to play center field as a six foot seven lefty with elite foot speed. Um, he, he could become a unicorn, if you will. Uh, the type of player where you don't see that type of player at their position doing what he could do. The ceiling for him, if I'm going to just imagine what's possible. Uh, is probably something along the lines of a 260 batting average. But the trade-off of having a lower batting average is 30 homers and 30 steals while being a plus defensive center fielder at six foot seven and a lefty. And with his work ethic and you know the background and his physical ability, he does look durable. So health should be there as well. Um, now, maybe in the minors, they make it so that he can't pull the ball, that the swing mechanics... Uh, they don't work against that high level of velocity. But for now, given that the swing mechanics have changed, uh, I, he's got to show up. He's absolutely got to show up. So those three Yankee center fielders, in addition to Bader, who I named earlier, are all on the list, but all carry certain degrees of risk. Uh, we got Brennan Davis for the Chicago Cubs. Now, he needs to be in AAA for at least another season, maybe two. He was rushed through the minors way too quick. He does have elite makeup. He's got great work ethic. And there's a funny story of him uh, taking care of llamas on his uh, family's farm in the off season, which I, I kind of think is that that's, that's, that's kind of cute. You know, <laughs> it's a little cute. <laughs> yeah, a little, just a little bit. Just a little. Um, but he is an elite defensive center fielder with a good batting eye and legitimate exit velocity uh, power. So, 
I, I, there is risk with a guy coming up this quick, and there is swing and miss uh, with regards to his profile, and he is a righty. So if he doesn't hit righties and maybe the center field defense, you know, gets a little bit worse and, you know, the batting average isn't quite there because of swing and miss, that's not good. But if he hits his ceiling, you know, you're looking at what Trent Grisham gave us in the, in the good year that he had. That's what Brennan Davis could give you. Uh, walks, uh, patience, dictated power, uh, plus, plus defensive center field. Uh, but, you know, he also might be nothing if the defense, you know, uh, goes downhill. His frame is not exactly the type of frame that you'd expect uh, a center fielder to have. So there is possibility that, you know, that that he moves to right field or something. And given his swing mechanics, he may not hit righties. And given his size, he may slow down. So like I said, he may be like a glorified fourth outfielder, a guy you'd put in the low side of a platoon with, uh, you know, some – some lefty who can't hit uh, lefties, you know? Uh, and that's not a, you know, that's an easy to find player, but the ceiling is an elite defensive center fielder who gets on base to run the bases and hit for power. Um, so he's got to show up obviously. And, you know, for similar, but like slightly different reasons, Garrett Mitchell for the Brewers, he has to show up. I don't know whether he's going to be ready next year. Uh, he hits the ball straight into the ground. His ground ball rates are impressive, if you will, in not a good way. Um, but he hits the ball really hard, and he hits the ball fairly often. If Garrett Mitchell got the right coach to work with him and found a way to get a swing change to work with Garrett Mitchell, he's got 70-grade speed with walks and workable power that you could get out of him by giving those swing changes. He's a lefty. So you're looking at a guy where if he just has a swing mechanics change, you're looking at an elite player and an elite center fielder with five tools. 70 grade speed is at least 35 steals a season. And if he changed the swing mechanics, that's 35 steals with 25 homers and at least a 260 batting average while being a good center field defender. As is, his speed is fairly straight line and can help him in the outfield, but... It... He runs faster than he than his speed says he should defend at. You know, with that speed, he should be a much, much better defender. But given that it's straight line speed, um, it doesn't work as well as it should. However, it does help him on the bases in terms of stealing bases. And he's big enough where going first to third is something that he can do uh, at an above average level. But the big thing with him is the swing mechanics change. If that one thing happens. He goes from, you know, a solid, okay player to a superstar. Um, so he's got to show up, especially because he is an athlete and he is a hard worker. I do see it possible for him to get a swing change. I don't think it's going to happen with the Brewers, though. I think he's going to have to get traded because if the Brewers were good at swing changes, they would have already done it with Yelich, who also has comparable ground ball rates. Uh, you just got to get Mitchell out of there. Got to get him to you know the Yankees or the Dodgers or some team that does uh swing changes effectively the Dodgers have been very good at that historically I think they're probably the best at it uh they do need outfield help so maybe they go for him the, the Brewers also have the next guy I'm going to talk about Joey Weimer who's also a possible center field fit um now they have Sal Freelich Freelich should not be in center he should be in a corner outfield spot and Mitchell is definitely 
more of a center fielder than Weimer. But if Mitchell can't change his swing mechanics, given that Sal Freelich is definitely not a center fielder and Yelich is definitely not a center fielder anymore, Weimer would take center field. At worst, Weimer is going to crush lefties. At best, Weimer could be basically Jason Worth, a guy who hit 25 homers a season. Uh, true middle of the order bat. You probably want him more like fourth or fifth than third. Um, steals bases, but is smart about it. Um, walks. Uh, you know, he is one of those players where you want him to pan out because of how exciting he is. Um, I mean, his swing is just vicious. He's got a violent swing in the best ways. Um, then we have, I, I, I'm probably going to absolutely slaughter his name. It's Sid, okay. We do it sometimes. Sidan. I know. Sidan. C-E-D-D-E-A-N-N-E. I know. You Make, lost I, me. Sedan uh, something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Rafaela. He is a guy who came out of nowhere in Boston's system uh, this last year. Uh, he should hit. The numbers both show that he's really crushing in the minors, which lends to the visual observations that at least he's going to hit lefties at the big league level. Uh, I think that you know he's not striking out very much right now. Uh, even if the strikeouts went up as he you know moves towards the big leagues, I do think he'd still hit lefties. However, he's a plus-plus base runner and an elite center field defender. So he really doesn't need to hit that much given the rest of his skills. Um, I don't know how close he really is, even though his levels were in more advanced than, you know, you, you'd imagine for a guy who came out of nowhere. I do think that he should spend all next year in double a, I think the risk with him is a lot higher than people are making it out to be. However, when you have good base running and elite center field defense to back up on, you really don't need to do that much else. Kiermaier almost made it, and he misses half a season while not even slugging 400. So that should show, if you have elite center field defense, uh, how little it requires offensively uh, for you to be this. Um, now, there still has to be something offensively, other than otherwise people like Christian Pache would be on the list. He's an elite center field defender who can't hit in AAA. If you can't hit in AAA, you're an auto out in the big leagues where Rafaela, he could probably hit lefties at minimum at the big league level, which is enough. It's still some level of offense, especially because hitting lefties with his profile would actually be doing really well against lefties. So it's not just a little bit. He would be closer to the middle of the order or middle of the order versus lefties. So that is a certain degree of hitting. Um, all right, we have now, funny enough, the third Diamondback. Now, this guy, he is way far down the minors. So, Carol, Alec Thomas, they're not going to get in his way. And it's honestly, it's, it's I, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't immediately think of him when I thought of the Diamondbacks, you know, young talent. You know, the, the Diamondbacks, they have Jordan Lawler, who they got in, in the draft. He is uh, a plus-plus defensive offensive shortstop and then last year in the draft they went out and they got andrew jones kid drew jones he is 
I have seen very few players ever his age with the tools that he has. He, right now, his physicality, his skill set, he looks like the next Byron Buxton. He looks exactly like Byron Buxton. He's got the hit tool. He's got the power. He's got the speed. He's got the center field uh, defense. He, he's got the frame for it. You're looking at a guy who, if, if he somehow stays healthier than Buxton has, you're looking at a guy who's going to be a top 10 big leaguer for a good 10, 12 years in a row. That's how highly I think Drew jo- of Drew Jones. Now, he is far away from the big league, so a lot can happen. But, I mean, I remember seeing Jason Dominguez at 16 years old. And I was blown away because the strength, you know, true power, power, middle of the order type stuff, you know. And he had speed to go with it, but I was really impressed more than anything with Dominguez by the bat. He looked like, you know, one of those patient power hitters who hits 40 homers, you know, right? Drew Jones... He's got that same type of ceiling, except instead of the 40 homers, 40 steals. He could hit maybe 25, maximum 30 homers, but he could steal 40 to 60 stolen bases, especially with the new rules, Um, which is actually kind of, you know, we, we do, we should talk about this more in a future podcast, but they're increasing the size of the bases and they're limiting the amount of times that pitchers can pick off a runner, throw over to first base, which is obviously going to massively increase stolen base totals. Based off of that, I mean, look, if if those rules weren't in place, I would have said that Drew Jones could go 25 and 30 every year. But with those rules, I could see him go 25 and 45 yearly as a center fielder who's going to hit, you know, with those numbers, if he's hitting for that degree of power, probably about 280, which is fine. You know, I think... um, Everybody's all obsessed with, you know, 300 or numbers around 300, but people don't hit like that anymore. Very few people hit for that type of average and have it actually be repeatable. Uh, For instance, Luis Arias is going to fall off a cliff in terms of batting average next year. And so is Jeff McNeil. And both of them just won like the batting title in each league. Um, So if you do have a guy who hits for high average, they're probably getting really lucky. So hitting 280 or 260 or or 250 or 245 is perfectly acceptable. The 240 batting average is starting to get on the low end. In the 230s, that's bad. The 220s, awful. The 210s, I don't want them. Anything lower than that is completely unplayable. But it is a completely different era where a 280 batting average is a 300. 260 is a 280. A 250 is a 270. A 245 is a 255. You know, that's roughly where we're at. So 280 would basically be under the, you know, old ways, 300. So the Drew Jones potential is a, under the old ways, 300 batting average, 30 homers, 30 stolen bases, elite center field defense, maybe 40 stolen bases. Maybe not 30, maybe higher, you know. Um I mean, we could even see a 30-50 season out of him, 30, 30 homers, 50 steals. Uh, so, yeah, 
as high ceiling as you can possibly imagine from him. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, former Mets prospect. He did a swing change. He's now with the Chicago Cubs. Looks like he should hit. He's a lefty hitter. Um, elite center field defense, plus, plus base running. Similar to Rafaela, you know, where he doesn't really have to hit that much for the profile to work out. However, he has a higher probability of panning out than Rafaela and is a lefty hitter, whereas Rafaela is a righty. Uh, Crow Armstrong has been on scouts' radars for years, whereas Rafaela just kind of jumped on scouts' radars this last year. So Armstrong definitely shows up higher on the list. And if Davis ends up not panning out or becoming more of a power bat moving to a corner, Crow Armstrong will be in center field. Um, and, you know, between, between you know, Armstrong, Davis, Alcantara, and Vaquero, who's the next guy I'm about to talk about, the Cubs have an absolute ton of, of out, outfield, uh, center field specifically, prospects. It's an absolutely insane amount. Uh, other organizations maybe have one, quite a few organizations have none. Um, but this is the last player on the center field list. And I, I want to break him down in as clear a way as I possibly can. Because you don't have people who are 16-year-olds on the list. At least, you know, not underneath the uh, more recent, uh, you know, versions of the list. There's very few 16-year-olds through my studies. Like, you, there are very few guys where you can look at them at that age and be like, okay, he's going to be a big leaguer. And then becomes one. I think what people don't understand is the body can change in so many different ways during that period of time. And that can affect swing mechanics that can affect the ability to eventually hit for power. If someone doesn't fill out, it can affect a lot of different things. And then going up to the higher levels can expose issues in swings. And then of course there's injuries. It's very rare where I would come on here and be like, okay, this guy, he's got to show up. Okay. Now he played last year for next year. He's going to be 18 he played last year at 17. So he's not a 16 year old. He's all, for all intents and purposes, as, as, as the youngest a player typically, well, I don't know if I've ever seen a 15 year old player, but the, the youngest I've seen players in the minors have been 16, 17 years old. Once you get to 18 years old, then you start really looking at their numbers, but 16 and 17, it's kind of like you just let them go through the motions. Uh, now, obviously, you know, if you see a guy going through the motions and they're striking out 45% of the time while walking 5%, that will draw concern. So again, like I said, not every 16-year-old, you know, will show up on this list. No one who is that young, next to no one who is that young shows up on the list. Um, however, there are not very many players in the minor leagues that I can sit here and say, could be a Buxton. Now, Vaquero is not, or Vaquero, I, I, I don't want to, I'm slaughtering his name, I'm absolutely sure, but he he has that ability. He could be a Drew Jones type. Now, Drew Jones is further along, which is shocking to say, because I believe they're the same age. Which, you know, again, that speaks to how great Drew Jones is. But... My dude here can be that type of player. 
except unlike Buxton and unlike Drew Jones, he can bat from both sides of the plate. So yes, much, much more risk than uh, than Jones, despite roughly the same age. But even with the risk, I have rarely seen a player at that age who can do what he can. It's 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 insanely, insanely impressive. The metrics that people are getting, the the exit velocities, the foot speed, every scout that's seeing him, he could be within a year the number one prospect in the minors, which is what Harper was and what Trout was, and and you know, basically most of the superstars that are uh that are in the league. Um Oh, that's, a, that's another guy I can compare him to. So if I'm not comparing him to Buxton or or Drew Jones, uh, I'll I'll compare him to like Luis Robert, you know? Uh, absolute insane physical talent. I mean, he, he's, he's seven, well, he was 17 last year. 17 all year last year. And he's already six foot three and 180 pounds. At a seven, as a 17 year old. Like most people who are six foot three, who are seventeen, that I've evaluated, are you know one one sixty five, you know something along those lines. He's already one eighty, and there's significant room to grow. Um, I, I don't think I've seen very many guys within his age range that have his type of ceiling. Um, ceiling is the roof, uh, and that is uh all of the center fielders. Also, I do want to correct myself. We did it. I I want to correct myself real quick. Uh, Vaquero is not with the Cubs. I mixed him up with uh, this guy who fell off the list a week ago. He's with the Nationals, Mm -hmm. which is the same team as Robert Hassel III. So if they do have Robert Hassel III end up focusing on power, which is very risky. You're gonna have to change his swing mechanics and just have him focus on his lower half, like for a long time. Then it's gonna be Hassel in right field and Vicaro in center. And that is our center fielders on the list. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 30, 33 center fielders between the majors and the minors. That's who's on the list. And it was definitely going to be a a, a larger amount uh, because a lot of guys, they get bigger and they have to move to a corner. But as long as a guy can stay in center, you want to keep them there. So, Chris, I think that we should jump back into the infield for the next one and do third base. Uh, I think a while ago we did third base, but it's been so long that we should just do a full update. Uh, And then we will have done catcher second, third. Um, We'll do an update on first, uh, and then we can do – I think shortstop needs its own one, and – I don't know. I think doing both left field and right field as one could be really fun, but I feel like that's the last one we should do. So 
definitely check in next time. We'll be doing the third base list. I think that's that's the one that we should do. And uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And we'll see you there.